So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the passage, it's the one passage that's in your worship guide, it's from Revelation 21, which if if you're not familiar with the Bible, Revelation is kind of popularly seen as the crazy book at the end that no one knows what to do with. It's the last book in the Bible, it's uh, one of the last written books of the Bible, Uh, the Apostle John wrote it, and he was kind of a washed up old man, Uh, last years of his life when he wrote this, uh, recording uh, a vision Uh, that he had when Jesus appeared to him, and we'll get into the circumstances of that in a minute. But you may be wondering this, what in the world does Revelation have to do with Christmas? Well, the way it fits into um, all of the passages and all of the songs we just sang or listened to, the way it fits in is the passage we're going to talk about very briefly tonight. It's the goal, it's the bullseye that all of the passages, all of the songs that we just read and sang point to. Because Jesus didn't just come to be a baby. He didn't just, he didn't just come uh, to free us from our sins. He came for a lot more. He came to set everything in the world right again. Because God is not okay with a world that includes things like pain, suffering, confusion, chaos, death, sickness, uncertainty. And so Jesus actually came to set everything up right again. And that's what this passage points to. That's what all the songs point to. He came... Uh, he came, and he's coming again. Uh, and so, uh, if you will stand again, so we can read this passage together. This is from Revelation chapter 21, second to last chapter of the Bible, verses 1 through 8. And this is the Apostle John. And this is the word of the Lord. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And he said to me, It is done. I and the Alpha, and I, and the Omega. I am the beginning, and I am the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are not okay with the things that make life so chaotic and complicated and oftentimes miserable and confusing for us. We thank you that you are not okay watching your people, your creatures, your world spiral out of control into chaos, but that you yourself came into the chaos You became flesh and blood to bring us out of it. But you left this earth with scars 
and you left with war stories, uh, and you left with a victory of winning your people back to yourself, uh, and you left uh, with a victory that means you get your way in the end, that the world will be made new. This place will be made new. And so help us to believe this tonight. Help it to be the answer to our fears and our sadness, our, our exhaustion. And would we see how Christmas connects to this passage? We ask this all in your name. Amen. Take a seat. Thanks for standing up. So kind of getting back to the, the purpose for tonight, if you've grown up around Christianity, around the church, you've heard the word Advent. Stuart gave a little 30-second definition of what Advent means. It basically is, it means something like waiting. Advent is a time of waiting. It's a time of preparation and expectation. But if you're like me, sometimes I'll be in these kind of services and I'm like, okay, why are we doing this again? Because Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He did all of this stuff. So why are, why are we supposed to kind of in December adopt a posture of, oh, I'm going to pretend again that Jesus hasn't come, and I'm going to pretend what it would be like to wait upon him. I'm going to pretend what it would be like to prepare my heart for his coming, even though he's already come. And so Advent sometimes can seem like a children's pageant we're supposed to put on and adopt this persona and imagine what it would be like to be waiting on Jesus as if we lived in 1000 B.C. So why are we here tonight? Why do we rehearse the story? Why do we sing the songs? Why since year 33 has the church been celebrating Advent and waiting? The reason why is because our lives, <coughs> we live lives of waiting still. We live with God making promises to us, partly the passage I just read to us, Promises made to us that haven't yet come true in fullness. Just like the people back then heard promises of God, I will send a rescuer. He says, you wanderers, I will chase you. I will chase you down with love. I will bring you back to myself. The world will not spiral out of control on my watch. They had to wait for those promises to ripen and ripen and ripen. And that little bud throughout the centuries, throughout history, becomes a blossom, becomes a flower, and it blooms. But we are people who look at all of these little buds of promises, and we have to sit here, and we have to groan as those buds slowly ripen and slowly become blossoms. And so we're people who wait. We're people who groan. We're people who, if you had to put words to your heart or your emotions a lot of days, you would come up with a song like, Oh, come, oh, come, God with us. Come, set me free. And so we're people who've grown like that as well. And so that's what Ad, that's how Advent is connected to now. That's why we celebrate it. Do, what would we do without a passage like the one I just read in Revelation 21? What if the Bible ended in Revelation 20? Where would we be without the passage I just read? We would be where you would be if you're on a plane and you're going through crazy violent turbulence and the captain never comes on the loudspeaker and tells you, we're going through a rough patch of air. We're going to get to smooth air soon. It'll be okay. Have you ever remember your first time flying or first time experiencing turbulence? I remember I was about 10 years old the first time I flew in a plane. And I had no idea how planes flew. I had no idea what to expect on it. All I know is the only time in my life, probably flown 100 times now, the only time in my life where I thought I was going to die in a plane was my first flight. Because we hit like an air pocket out of nowhere. And I don't know how much we felt, but it... I mean, it was like the bottom dropped out, and we were just flying along, no fastened seatbelt sign, and then boom, and then violent shaking, I'm white-knuckling my armrest, 
And I'm like, I'm going to die. And all the little prayers I knew as a 10-year-old, I was saying pretty fast. (laughs) But what would have happened if that pilot never came on the loudspeaker and oriented me to what was going on or what was ahead of us? What am I left with? I'm flying blind. I'm in the dark. And all I can conclude is it's not good when plane wings are going like this outside the window. I don't know how they're constructed. So think of this, Revelation 21 is Revelation 21 is Jesus telling John, we're going through a rough patch of air right now. You're in turbulence. It looks like, it feels like the wings of your life are going to flop off. And the church that John was, was giving this to, and you and me, he's saying, I know it feels like the wings of your life are going to fly off. I know you're white-knuckling your armrest from time to time when you're awake to what's actually going on, when you're awake to the sharp edges of life. But there is smooth there ahead, and I'm going to get us there. That's what Revelation 21 is about. You've got to know what's up ahead, and you've got to know who's in the cockpit, who the pilot is, and whether or not he can get the plane to the smooth air. Because otherwise, the plane goes down. Or you live your life convinced that the plane is going to go down. And you wipe up all your way through life. And so that's why Revelation 21 is important. It helps us persevere. Jesus wants you to know what the quote-unquote ending of the story, because all fall semester we've been talking about God's story and your story, how his changes yours. And Jesus and John are saying, you have to know, you have to know who is the pilot of the plane you're riding in called reality. And you have to know where he's taking the plane. You have to know there's smooth air if you're going to persevere and endure the turbulence of life. What's the turbulence? For John, the turbulence in his life was being stuck on a little island in the middle of the Mediterranean called Patmos. Patmos was the ancient equivalent of Alcatraz. It's where you sent people to never hear from them or see them or have to refute their ideas again. People disappeared there. And so John, as an old man, has been getting reports of every single apostle murdered. Every single apostle martyred violently for aligning themselves with Jesus and preaching the things that they were preaching, that they saw, preaching the man that they touched, that they saw resurrected. John is the lone survivor. John is on Alcatraz, as it were. And one night in prison, John says, the Lord Jesus himself said, you may think you've fallen off the radar, but not off my radar. And he says, John, there is more than meets your eye. Come with me. And John is taken through this little exploration. And Jesus pulls back the curtains of reality and says, you can't just believe that all there is in reality is what you can see with your eyes or hear with your ears. And he pulls the curtains back and he says, there's more than meets the eye, John. This is where the plane is going. This is where the turbulence is coming from. This is what I'm going to do about it. And so that's, what, uh, that's what's going on in John. So John's life, that's turbulence, right? What about our life? There's a few connection points with what uh, Jesus um, says won't be in heaven. Those are the turbulent things. Pain. Death. Living a life where you know death is waiting for you. (coughs) Confusion. Mental confusion. Mental not knowing which way is up. Never being able to get a solid grasp on what is real, what is true, what 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 is good. Things like sickness, things like distance, things like loneliness, things like shame, like guilt, like regret, things like poverty, 
things like being stuck with whatever bodily issues you were born with or you developed along the way, and you can't escape them. Things like that. That's the turbulence that makes you feel like the wings are going to pop off this thing and I'm going down. And, John, and Jesus tells John, John, those are the things that won't be where I take you. Those are the things that I'm going to get rid of. And so the turbulence in our lives all trace back to those things. You see in your own story the connection points between what I, what I, that litany of the, just the dark, the ugly, the twisted, the, the tangled places in life. The turbulence that makes you really wonder, am I ever going to get to the end or not? Jesus presumes that life is hard for you. You know why? Because he says, for my people who show up to heaven, what does he presume will be going down your cheeks as you show up to heaven? Tears. Because he says, when you, when you are home with me forever in the new heavens and new earth, I myself will wipe away your tears. And so Jesus himself nods in agreement. Jesus himself sympathizes when you groan, when you cry out, why is this happening? Why does life hurt so bad? Because he says it will be my thumb on your cheek because you will show up to heaven with tears <coughs> on your face because life in a fallen, broken world, not the way it's supposed to be, hurts. And so we show up to heaven with tears. Or, for us, we try to get rid of the tears, right? <clears throat> Medicate ourselves out of the tears. Uh, we numb ourselves to the pain. We find any kind of alleviation to the confusion, the doubt, the pain, the, the whatever, the regret, the shame that we have. And so no longer do we just have sex to have sex and to love someone. We have sex out of fear that they'll still love me and it's the only way I can keep him from running away is if I give myself to him. Or we don't just have relationships with people. We, have, we now have relationships with people where we use them to get what we want because we're so hollow, so empty, so weightless. We have to suck people out like parasites. And that's how we medicate. That's how we get rid of the pain. We, 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 we fabricate. We doubt everything except for our own doubts. And that's how we medicate. We're great skeptics for other people's ideas, but we have no skepticism when it comes to our skepticism. And that's how we, we wipe the tears away ourselves. But you know and I know, it never works, does it? It never works. The tears come back. We can't medicate ourselves out of this. We're the most... We're the most medicated generation in all of human history. And don't hear me say medication is bad. God in his mercy has given medication in a lot of ways. But do hear this. Why is it that this generation, of all the others, is... Why are the pharmaceutical companies pouring hundreds of billions of dollars to develop medicines that will make you never have to feel an emotion again, never have to hurt again, never have to mourn again, never have to think about death or fear or anxiety again? Why are we trying to erase all of these things out of a fallen, broken world? Are we trying to wipe our own tears away? Are we trying to bring a new earth and a new heaven? It won't work. Why doesn't it work? Because there's a cause to all of this stuff. And God doesn't just treat symptoms. God goes for the cause of it, and that's when he turns up on its head. And so though we're experts at kind of hiding and denying and numbing all of the turbulence in our lives so that we can enjoy the ride, uh, God says, I'm going to get at the cause of all of these things. 
And that's why right before this passage, if you have a Bible, it's important to know the context of this little chunk that we talked about. Right before here, Jesus says, death, death itself, the devil himself, hell itself, he casts away into the same lake that he talks about at the end of this passage. He, 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 in a sense, he annihilates it, he, he, he exhausts it, he, he eradicates it. The cause of all these things. If you've been here all fall, you know death was never normal. Distance from God was never the way it was supposed to be. Pain, sickness, confusion was never the way. It all came in like a Trojan horse with sin. And chaos reigned free all the way up until tomorrow. Chaos. Turbulence. God goes for the core of it. Uh, and he says the place that he is preparing, the place that he is taking this plane in the midst of the turbulence is a new heavens and a new earth where these things are not there. No more death, no more sadness, no more evil. No more vulnerability to temptation. No more waking up in the morning and wondering, am I going to fall again? Am I going to do it again? No more having, No more having those horrible... Gross, ugly, selfish, narcissistic thoughts that pop into your head. You don't know how they got there. You don't know what to do about it. No more threat that you're going to stab God in the back and think he's the devil and the devil is God. That the devil is a life giver and that God is a life taker. No more of those threats. No more vulnerability. No more exposure to that kind of stuff. Because it's not even there. No more capacity to be sad. No more capacity to fear. Because there's no cause for it. It's the kind of place Jesus says he's driving his story like a freight train directly to that station. If you're in Jesus, that's where you're headed. That is your destiny. That is forever for you. And that is what Jesus came to do. Cleansing us, wiping us clean of our sin was a means to that end. Living with us forever. Do you remember the second or third sermon of the semester about Genesis? Home we said, we could say Genesis 1 is about home is wherever we're with him. Home is wherever I'm with God. That's why God created this world. That's why he calibrated everything for our good. But here in this passage, Jesus begins to flip that on its head. And he says things like, it's not just home is where God is. It's that God says to you, buckle up and hold on your armrest for this. This sounds heretical. It's almost too good to be true. God says to his people, home for me is wherever I'm with you, my people. How does the text support that? Because that's a pretty wild thing to hear God. It sounds like a man-centered world. It sounds like that sentimental hallmark mush. How does the text support it? The passage says, behold, the one on the throne says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man forever. Don't think of the place Christianity ends, the place being united to Jesus ends. Don't just think it's we die and God takes us to heaven where he is. Revelation says heaven comes here. There will be things, there will be places, memories, locations that you remember. There will be continuity between this world and the new world, this earth and the new earth, except all of the stuff that made it sad. All of the stuff that made it fragile won't be there anymore. It'll be renewed, perfected, the raw material, just infinitely better forever and ever. God says to his people, home for me, the Lord, is wherever I'm with you, my people. The 
dwelling place of God is with man forever. It's all throughout the Bible. This is its culmination. This is what Christmas is about. Christmas is a means to the end of accomplishing that dream. So, real quickly, as we wrap up, who's this pilot? We've already talked about where he's taken us. Who's the pilot in the cockpit? Some pretty famous words here. You've probably heard of this, whether you've grown up in the church or been around Christianity or you're new to it. Jesus says to John, John, here's who's in your cockpit. Here's who's flying the plane that's wings feel like they're shaking off right now. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. First and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I'm the A and I'm the Z, implying I'm everything in between two. I'm the beginning and I'm the end and I'm everything in between two. I.e., I'm the center. I'm the substance. I'm the foundation. I'm the point of all of human history. I'm the point of all of reality. It's personal. Remember? Talking about how the story is personal with a capital P. Personal. It's about a person. All of history is aimed at the bullseye of Jesus. He says, I'm the first and the last and everything in between, John. And I am the one who will wipe away your tears. I am the one who will get at the cause of all the pain and chaos in the world. And I will remove it. That's who's, that, that is who your pilot is. That is who your Jesus is if you're united with him. Like we talked about. He is stuck to you at the point. That is who he is. Where is he taking us? We talked about it. What's the journey going to be like? One that causes tears, right? Uh, and God says to us, home is where I am with you. Uh, Anna put on a movie the other night while we were doing some Christmas decorations called Love Actually. You ever heard of it? Hugh Grant is the uh, English Prime Minister. But the movie opens up, Anna says, with real footage of the arrivals gate at London Heathrow, right? And it's just like surveillance footage of the arrivals gate uh, at, at the airport. And... Uh, it's a pretty powerful first opening shots of a movie because you see people running across the terminal and just bear hug and spin around, people crying, people that haven't seen each other forever. Who knows what their stories are, but it is a place chock full of emotion, chock full of welcome, of embrace, of anticipation, of longing, of gladness that you're there. The picture Jesus paints of what the new heavens and the new earth is, is one where God the Father himself is in that arrival gate as we walk up. Do you imagine a God who couldn't care less if he sees your face, who's busy in the corner doing his own thing, or do you see a God who, like the Father and the prodigal son, runs to you, pushes aside the little barrier, picks you up, brings you around? Why the emotion? And do you believe that? You should believe it, because... Look at the lengths that God went to to make this a reality, to bring this truth. This is his dream. The gospel is that he lets it be our dream, too. He takes the nightmare of our dead-end stories, and he gives us the, the ongoing, never-ending, to-be-continued, cascading life, cascading love of his story. That's the gospel. That's what we've been talking about all night. We end here because there's an unsavory ending to this passage. You might have said, why in the world did Ben include that last verse? <coughs> I included it because Jesus said it in conjunction with everything else. And to edit that out would be closing his mouth. And I'd rather not do that. Here's the point. Jesus' coming at Christmas was both good news to some and horrible news to others. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the Nativity story. For Herod, 
Jesus' coming, God with us, was terrible news because it meant an end to Herod's kingdom. It meant my way doesn't happen anymore. It meant there is a threat to my sovereignty. I don't get my way anymore. That's, and, and for the Romans, for all these other people. But it's also, it's good news for the whores. It's good news for the broken. It's good news for the sick, the lame, the deaf, the blind, the crippled. It's good news for the sinners, for the hungry, for the thirsty, for the weak. But it's not good news for people who are in a turf war with their own kingdom saying, my way is where I want to land the plane. Thanks, but no thanks. I see a better future, and I'm pulling in the plane this way. And Jesus says, he, because he is ever the truth teller, he will not twist, he will not manipulate, he will not spin. Always the truth teller looks at John and says, John, make sure your churches know. He says to you tonight, make sure you know the story that you live by, the story that you have connected yourself to, that you see as truth. You share its destiny. You know people who, who connect themselves to political campaigns, like people who were on Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2008? They attached themselves to her story. Her story didn't end in the presidency. And so where are they now? They're not in Washington, D.C. They're not in the White House. The story you attach yourself to, you share the destiny of that story, for better and for worse. God offers you freely the ending of his story. But he warns us, if you cling with white knuckles to your way, if the idea of being in heaven without sin, without temptation, is the most boring idea you've ever thought of, he says, check yourself and be warned. Are you flying straight towards the ground, content and happy? Do you know where you're going? He says, turn. Turn to the God who comes after his people. Then they go home to them, with him forever. And so Christmas leaves us with a decision the same way it left. Mary, Joseph, Herod, the Romans, and all of the other people. Do we reject him? Do we welcome him because we desperately need him? Our prayer, our hope, our expectation is that Jesus will even enable us uh, to, um, to welcome him. He will have to work in our hearts to be able to do that. Um, he calls us to consider these things, to listen to his word tonight, to listen to the Christmas story, and ask yourself, is God with me forever, his dwelling place with man forever? Is that a threat, or is that the best news you've ever heard? Because it means no more crying. Because it means this. And this is what we end on from uh, Jesus' story with Bible. You think it's for four-year-olds, but it's actually for adults. We have broken imaginations. So she kind of fixes it for us. This is, her, this is her version of what I just read. She said, and the king says this. Look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or fighting. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying. Because all those things are gone. They're gone forever. To quote uh, Tolkien, she says, Everything sad has come untrue. And see, I have wiped away every tear from every eye. And then a deep, beautiful voice that sounded like thunder in the sky says, Look, I'm making everything new. And he says this, John, if you flip to the last words of the Bible, John doesn't finish God's story by saying the end. How is there an end to the infinite and eternal God? How is there an ending? He doesn't say the end. He says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Sally Lloyd-Jones says that's a clever way of saying, to be continued forever and ever and ever with no threat, 
no sadness, no vulnerability, no pain, no sorrow, no regret, no shame. Just enjoying God the way you were designed, made to enjoy Him, to have life in Him, and to love your neighbor forever. Let's pray as the worship team comes back up here. Merry Christmas to you. I'll be the first to tell you that. Lord Jesus, I know people think about heaven and the new earth and they say, oh, it will be so great because when I'm in heaven I will see my grandmother again or my grandfather or my friend who passed away or I will get to meet interesting, important people but Lord Jesus, the greatest reunion of all is that we will see you finally as you are and with clear eyes and and our joy will be the same source of joy it is for all of those in heaven now, for all of the angels who are bowing down before you, leaping in life, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for his people. Help us to endure and persevere in the turbulence of now, the turbulence of the homes we're going back to next week, by coming on the loudspeaker, as it were, and telling us where you're taking us and who's in the cup. We pray this in your name because we need it desperately. Amen.